With the news media reporting increasingly more data breaches and cybersecurity events, and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. We're here to help you prevent potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the 90th episode of my show. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Play, Overcast, TuneIn, or whatever your favorite podcast or news app is. Also, please subscribe to my show on the Voice America Business Channel website. Then you'll be notified just as soon as each new show is available. And thank you to all my listeners throughout the world. I truly do appreciate you. Thank you for sending and your questions and for listening, and I certainly do hope all of you are doing well. My August Privacy Professor Tips message was published on July 29th. Please sign up for them. I've provided them for free since 2005, and I've been archiving them since 2007, and I've been providing them in an effort to increase general awareness of data and cybersecurity and privacy issues, but also to provide a free awareness publication for organizations to use to send to their employees. I know that it's hard to get that budget sometimes for such awareness communications. You can sign up for them by going to privacyguidance.com and submitting your email in the box in the upper right part of your screen. And now we are also providing free ebooks, flip books, and awareness videos through our privacysecuritybrainiacs.com site. Get them from there as well and sign up for notifications whenever we have new things offered. Again, from privacysecuritybrainiacs.com. So today, we're covering a very important cybersecurity topic that most folks, even in security and privacy, have probably never heard of. But it's important, and the importance is growing every day, especially as we have new types of tech that people constantly use on an ongoing basis. On May 12th of 2021, President Biden published Executive Order 14028, and it outlined requirements for improving the United States cybersecurity of the critical infrastructure. And one of the requirements was Section 4, which is Enhancing Software Supply Chain Security. So how can this be accomplished? Well, with our growing number of technologies that are being used, S-bombs, D-bombs, C-bombs, and possibly a whole slew of other types of bombs 
are becoming more and more important for supply chain security insights and management. And you're probably wondering, well, what she's talking about bombs for? Well, when I'm speaking about one of these types of bombs, I am not <laughs> referencing explosives. I am talking about different types of digital bill of materials or, or other types of bill of materials beyond the digital. So bill of materials is B-O-M, bombs. And they contain information that can be used, among other things, to support security of data, of devices, and, you know, everything else in our digital ecosystem. And I am so happy to have on my show today one of the leading experts for this topic, Chris Blast. Chris's career spans the breadth of the cybersecurity industry for over 25 years now, and his contributions to the industry are many. Chris invented one of the first firewall products. He built a multi-billion dollar firewall business at Cisco Systems. Chris co-founded an early SIM vendor, and by SIM, for those of you not familiar with that, that's S-I-E-M, vendor. He authored the first book on SIM. He founded an information sharing center for critical infrastructures, and Chris has advised public and private organizations in every sector around the world. And in his role within the Office of Innovation at Unisys, Chris Blask created and leads the operational technology and IoT security practices. He invented the Digital Bill of Materials, or DBOM, structure and established the Unisys Marine Living Research Center. Today, Chris chairs a range of nonprofit cybersecurity organizations and contributes to a wide range of global security efforts. Chris, thank you so much for taking time out of what I know is your very busy schedule to be my guest today. Welcome to my show. Well, thank you, Rebecca, and thanks everyone for tuning in. Well, let's get right down to the bomb. Um, and, you know, people are listening to this, and I can't help but keep saying it because it's, uh, it's a great acronym. But to level set understanding for our diverse group of listeners at a high level, what is meant by a bill of materials or bomb, at least from a, a technology perspective? So a bill of materials, one of the handy things we have going for us is that bill of materials are old as the hills. You know, for hundreds of years in the entire modern era, when you when two business partners agree to do something and one makes something and ships it to the other one, it's attached to a bill of materials. And so traditionally, this is a piece of paper that says, you know, here is the box of forks or the table legs or whatever, and they match the agreement that we had. So what we're doing is building on that existing structure that's really woven through everything in supply chain in the physical world and always has been. We're just saying we'd like to know when you talk about software bill of materials, what's inside that software. In the same way as we would know what's inside, you know, that you use cherry wood for the table legs in the in the in the in the table that I bought from you. So it's kind of like it, when you go to the grocery store, then you look at a, a can of soup and you look at the label to see what's the ingredients, kind of like that too? Right. Yeah, and, and, you know, we get into some of the, I know some of the things we're going to be talking about and the questions on people's minds, and the analogies are really helpful because, you know, when I'm buying that can of, of mixed vegetables, 
there are certain things about the ingredients I would like to know. And they're pertinent mm-hmm. to me, and they're presented, and we've figured out how to present those on the packaging itself. Now, that doesn't tell me exactly who picked the peas and you know where the carrots came from specifically. But if that was necessary, that same system would support that. So that's the sort of visibility we're talking about building into the cyber infrastructure. Yes. And, and in recent years, even, they tell you, well, this, this was packaged in a location where peanuts are also located. So it, it provides insights to things that might be harmful as well as, uh, as someone uses it. And, and that relates to our digital devices, too. Now, when did bombs from a digital standpoint, when did those start being used? I mean, have those just kind of emerged as the digital form for uh, software and hardware and firmware recently, or have those been around for a while? Well, you know, so to help everybody see where we are on this path, uh, you can see these concerns sort of obvious at the at the top of it. You'd say, why, why in the first line of code, why didn't somebody think of it then? But it was about 10 years ago. And, mm. you know, call-outs to people who deserve uh, uh, the call-out, Kate Stewart, uh, has led the SPDX, the Software Package Definition Exchange, I think, uh, um, project at the Linux Foundation, uh, which is becoming a, an ISO standard and has been part of the uh, Department of Commerce, the, the US federal government, um, SBOM development. So that project, and if you think about the from the open source perspective, the issue of what's inside this open source is, you know, the old man in the sea in, in this space. So Kate and that group have been working that issue for a decade now. Um, Probably about three years ago, Alan Friedman at the Department of Commerce, NTIA, um, uh, started leading the SBOM effort uh, that led to that executive order, and, and that effort is now transiting into uh, CISA. So this has been developing for a long time. And for, for my part, it was uh, James Nesbitt's Cyber Senate Conference in 2018 in, in London, where with uh, a group of, of like-minded folks, uh, Marty Edwards there and Gear Arlid and whatnot, and we realized in, in our panel discussion that supply chain security in, in cyber wasn't good or bad. It was non-existent. Mm. You know, there's no way to know what's inside anything. So that put a bug in my ear that led to the conversation in May of 2019 that you know kicked off DBOM. But this has been on people's minds for a long time and different, you know, if, if nobody had done anything yet, we would be years and years away from it. But it turns out most of the groundwork has been laid. Okay. So it sounds like it's it's comparatively recent. It's very important. You did mention... SBOM and DBOM. So um, some of our, our listeners may not know what goes along with the S or the D. So maybe you can explain what's an SBOM and a DBOM and uh, if there's any other bombs out there that people should know about. Sure, right. And uh, keep, keep in mind that acronyms are just acronyms, right? But the mm-hmm. software bill of material is the big deal right now. So software bill of materials, and this is you know, in an executive order and other uh, instruments coming out of the Beltway, if you want to continue operating critical infrastructure that's regulated by the US federal government or supplying to them, get used to software bill of materials. You're going to need to require and put to use the, the SBOM, the, the document that says, here's the components of the software we sold you. Mm-hmm. Or you're going to have to produce that, that SBOM, that software bill of materials document, to be able to sell into these spaces. So, and and one clarification uh, in my bio was a little outdated. I'm not with Unisys anymore. That, that is, uh, Unisys is uh, uh, currently commercializing the DBOM part, but I'm working with uh, various companies. Cybeats is, is is my main focus these days, and it's a good example of of this space 
you know, oh. taking a deep, you know, creating this, this software bill of material, taking all that pipeline and development information and creating the SBOM, which is, again, just a document about the contents of, of a binary, effectively, or, yes, well, or taking that SBOM and doing something with it in the SOC. Well, thank you for that correction. I apologize for that error, no, but no um, yeah, definitely. Well, then the DBOM, what does the D stand for? So the, 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 this is one of these things, this may not be the best named acronym, but you know, the origin of Digital Bill of Materials was a one-hour conversation with myself and Mehdi Antizari at Unisys in, uh, in May of 2019. And my point with Digital Bill of Materials is I want to hold something in my hand and know who touched it, where it came from, what's inside it, you know, to, to an appropriate level of knowing. And at the time, looking at it from the, the platform of Unisys with the big suppliers and big customers, it was true in 2019 that we can just write it down. You know, mm -hmm. we could just do it ourselves. We don't need a, you know, uh, a consortium or anything else. But when you look at it, you know, to create what DBOM is at the technical level is the ability to create attestation networks. So the digital bill of materials code was uh, open sourced. It's um, on GitHub. GitHub. The DBOM consortium is a Linux Foundation project that will be launched probably by the end of this year officially. There's proof of concepts going on there. But what, so, so keep in mind that the idea of a digital bill of materials is really this broad concept of software bill of materials and hardware bill of materials and handling and custody and shipping, everything, right? Mm -hmm. But then there's the DBOM technical architecture is just nodes and channels. So the open source code is a DBOM node. You can stand it up. You might call it an attestation firewall. There's an internet of attestations out there with a node, you can access it. With DBOM nodes, you can create or subscribe to a channel. And then the rest of the structure just evolves out of the use of nodes and channels to define relationships. And I've seen, uh, we, we could talk about that in some of the, the, the Q&As uh, or some of the, the further discussions, but mm -hmm. it, at the end is a very, very simple um, thing. You and I could both stand up DBOM nodes right now, use the open source code before this call is over, choose to create a, a channel between us, a repository, and use a MongoDB or a blockchain or whatever is appropriate you know, to the criticality of, of, of our information, agree to do certain things, and then put the attestations there. So okay. for this purpose, maybe I'm going to write software for you. I'll give you a software bill of materials. I'll create that document. I'll attest to it on that channel. And then you will know that you know it was me that said that at this time and so on and so forth. So let's say I decided to buy a really complex IoT device, and I want to know um, everything about the software and you know the details that you would find in an S-bomb. And they say they have a digital, they have a D-bomb. So where would I ask to find that? It, it, what you're saying, it doesn't sound like it's a part of the device itself, but it's actually outside of the device? So the, uh, the way we see the attestation infrastructure evolving is that all organizations will have an attestation node of some sort. And the, the DBOM code out there is, is the only open source attestation node you know, out there. Could be done other ways. But conceptually, you have a node and I have a node that allows us to engage in channels. On those channels, we're going to test to things like software contents. We can put a software bill of material in the channel between us. Now, if you're reselling that software to someone else, maybe you made a commitment to them to say that, you know, I will provide you this information, the, the software bill of materials. 
yeah, and and just share it with them on a, on a channel downstream of you, or more likely, because this really gets into tricky IP questions um, really really quickly. More likely, you'll have some condition in a contract. So the contract will say if this if a known vulnerability comes out from a reputable source about you know that might affect the software you sold me, at that point you will give me some or all of the software bill material regarding that 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 product. So. So the actual flow of information, when you, when you think about it, attestation networks, now, which, again, is what the digital bill of materials is, mm-hmm. information doesn't really flow. It mostly comes to rest. So your, your desire to see that software bill of materials, take us back to our mixed vegetable analogy. If that can of mixed vegetables is going into the store shelf and to my home, I have a certain level of need about knowing what's inside it. If it's going on a, 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 a rocket up to the space station, maybe I actually really do want to know who picked the peas. Mm. So, and this is really ends up being old hat for security people. We just need to look at criticality and situations and say, does Rebecca really need to see the software bill of materials for the $37 camera and, or not? And maybe you do. In most cases, not. And which... It's fortunate because otherwise you would have, you know, exabytes of data, uh, you know, regarding all the details of the firmware in your coffee maker. So it's your need to access and your right to access and your ability to access things like software bill materials. That's what the DBOM architecture is about. So after I would purchase a, a $35 smart camera, I would be told where to find the digital um bill of uh, right. materials, and then I could go there and look through it if I wanted to, but if I didn't want to, it's not going to impact the way the device works at all. I mean, it's right. not something that impairs the device or changes the the way the device works, correct? Right. It, it, you know, it's a stack of documentation about the device, and and you're right, you know, so the, the you know, it could exist on a website, you know, you know, the, the attestation network that we're using right now that the digital bill of materials architecture was engineered to, to replace is literally websites and box and Dropbox folders. And, you know, mm. so I, as a vendor in, in, in that analogy, I could put the S-bomb. People, people are starting to do this now. Put an S-bomb on your website. And maybe that's good, but how actionable is that? If that's not a $37 camera, but it's, you know, a $37,000 uh, device inside a nuclear reactor... Do you trust a software bill of materials that's on the vendor website? Right. Or do you want that somewhere more secure where you can know exactly who put it there? So in that case, you would create a DBOM relationship, a channel between yourself, you know, you're the nuclear nuclear operator and the, the provider, you know, selling the, the device. And you say as part of, you know, selling that device, you will attest on this channel, you know, as to the software bill of materials and vulnerabilities and handling and so on and so forth. Right. Well, so the, go ahead. I was just going to say, so again, you know, that it's, it's unfortunate uh, how the naming has worked out. You know, the D-bomb and S-bomb are very, very different things. S-bombs are yeah. attestations about content. D-bomb is either the concept of, you know, on a website, on somewhere, there's this list of everything that's ever had to do with your device, or it's more specifically this attestation technology. Okay. And now, is it, uh, something that is just publicly viewable then, or is it something that 
access is controlled to be able to see all of those details, like what you said with the nuclear reactor, you only want to allow the, you know, certain people to be able to get access to that detailed list. Right. That's entirely up to, to the participants. So okay. you, and you, you can see different cases where I, as a vendor, want to say something in public. I want to be really clear that it was me saying it. Here's the exact, you know, uh, mm. you know non-reputable, here's my S-bomb or whatever it is. So I create a public D-bomb channel. I put it out there. Anybody in the world wants to know it. There it is. That's the official version. And or the exact opposite case, as you say, you know, I've got two confidential parties who want to share things just between the two of them and not have any connection whatsoever to any other party or any, anybody else in the world. So you've been, you know, the, the purpose of the DBOM uh, architecture is to allow parties to determine how far they want to go. So I mean, this came out of a blockchain conversation, right? But we, we want to be clear that, you know, from the get-go that it's not about blockchain, it's about attestations. Mm -hmm. Blockchain is just a great example. And you can create a, a, a channel, you and I could create that DBOM channel between us, using Hyperledger or IOTA, something like that, and we can take it to extreme levels of non-repudiation, uh, non if necessary. Mm -hmm. We could also use MongoDB, or we could use the pattern of you know, waves on a water to store our data. It doesn't really matter. It's for you and I to decide what is the policy. You know, what information we, are we going to agree to put between us? You know, what level of secrecy and non-repudiation and so forth do we need? And how can we see that all the time so that we know if I see that you did something, it is what you did. And if mm -hmm. you see I did something, it is what I did. And it matches our agreement. So as you have a, a more and more complex type of device or system, you might have different parties involved contributing to that system. And maybe each of those parties needs to um, attest to their component within that system. So how does that work? I mean, does one pass al along uh, their attestation to the next one that they're providing that information to, and then the next entity adds another attestation to that one and passes it along to where the combination of those components gets incorporated within? You will see cases like that, but you'll also see, uh, uh, mostly I think what you'll see is the attestations rest between the original parties. And you oh. know, the application of smart contracts and oracles, you know, not getting too far ahead, hopefully, but you'll see this oh, probably by the end of this year and next year, you'll see you know, POCs and so forth, where you have different DBOM channels in between them at the node level, you have some smart contract that says under these conditions, you know, the, the party is, you know, has access to that information. And, you know, as cyber folks, we can say US CERT comes out with a vulnerability notice that, you know, directly implies that this affects some commercial product. You could have a contract, you know, from a utility or a hospital or whatnot, you know, the contract language says, if this, then that, you know, if this, is that vulnerability notice. Then that is, I get access to the SBOM for the device or the VEX document or whatever it is, again, whatever it is the parties agree to, that's when access uh, happens. Oh. So, you know, this, uh, this we live in an increasingly complex world and, it, and it's not moving mm -hmm. in the opposite direction, right? So right. this, 
to solve this, to really, really solve this issue, we have to not solve the issue uh, because there is no way to have a central repository, a central view of all of this ever. Um, but fortunately, it turns out businesses already have relationships with each other. And enunciating those relationships and, and putting transparency like SBOMs, like DBOM channels, like hardware bill of materials and in total custody attestations and so forth, and putting those in the context of a more clearly enunciated relationship. So it, it'll be very interesting in, in five and ten years looking back that most of this comes down to con contract language. Right. Well, how? what percentage of... And I'm assuming from what you're describing, it's hardware, software, firmware, manufacturers. What percentage of them currently use D-bombs? Uh, D-bombs and S-bombs is a rounding error of zero. You know, they're oh. early POCs. Yeah, in the last three years particularly, the major companies have been developing their S-bomb strategies. You know, the major, there's only been the, the healthcare POC for the software bill of materials was a year ago in the major POC and that for software bill materials in the energy space now. Ah. So this is really going, you know, it's, it's not literally zero, but it's darn close. But, you know, major players who've said these things on public forums, any names I mentioned, they've said these in Linux Foundation meetings and so forth. You know, they've been working on developing their SBOM strategies for basically the last three years. So the, the executive orders did not come as, as a surprise to anybody. Yes, well... We're coming up on our break, but you know, then, gosh, I'm glad that we're talking about this now at the beginning of what could exponentially increase in use. So right now, though, it's it's time for a quick break to hear from our sponsors. I'm speaking today about different types of bombs and uh, with Chris Blask, cybersecurity expert and inventor, including inventor of the digital Bill of Rights. Or <laughs> I keep saying Bill of Rights because I use that term so often in, in other parts of my work. Digital Bill of Materials, D-bomb structure. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the privacy professor. You can contact me with questions and comments about this show as well as show topic suggestions using my email, RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com, and also through my PrivacyGuidance.com website. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, research, report writing, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyguidance.com. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages she has published since 2007. Visit privacyguidance.com for help and answers to your questions. The Privacy Security Brainiacs team wants everyone responsible for security, privacy, and compliance to stay up to date with the latest news, risks, and security and privacy practices. Check out their growing library of topics not offered by others. Privacy Security Brainiacs also wants every business to perform automated risk assessments, which are free or value-priced for all types of security and privacy topics. You need to find out more about Privacy Security Brainiacs. Visit PrivacySecurityBrainiacs.com. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on the Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, and I'm speaking today about bombs with Chris Blask, cybersecurity expert and inventor of many different things, including inventor of the digital bill of materials structure. So before the break, we were talking about what a bomb was what an S-bomb and a D-bomb, what they were, what they were used for. So, Chris, um, before I get into, like, who needs to use them, something that, as we've been talking about this, I've been thinking about the integrity of the data. I mean, you mentioned blockchain earlier, so that's involved, I know, but I still wonder about the integrity of the data, what helps to – what – ensures that that the the data is not inappropriately modified somewhere along the chain. So how can I know that I can trust those D-bombs and S-bombs? I think the the simple answer at the end end of the day is transparency and competence. You know, it's, you know, the the D-bomb structure is set up to allow any parties to choose the policies, choose the repository, choose the way to enforce their relationship. But uh, so to define the relationship. So when you, as we do today, as cybersecurity people, but you know, more broadly, as everybody involved in every level of business does all the time, you decide the criticality for an individual task. And what we're talking about here is in many cases, in particular what everybody's really talking about what's on their mind, many cases, very, very uh, critical data. So in setting up your attestation structure, you may very well, for a lot of this information, want to use blockchain. Because, you know, distributed ledgers are, you know, a technology that makes sense and gives a level of non-repudiation that's hard to achieve by different means uh, at the same cost, and policies around that, and checks and human processes. But, you, you know, this, all of the information we're talking about exists inside all these businesses now. We right. just find it smeared across all sorts of places, and most of them it's not well protected or handled. Most of the times that's not exploited because there's so much data, and you know, usually the businesses who have access to it you know, don't have bad people doing bad things. Mm-hmm. So with attestation e- uh, infrastructure, the attestation networks, we're just taking the information we already have, we're enunciating the relationships and the access around that more clearly, and we're putting it all in the same place or same places so that we can link those together. Right. Gathering out into one location. Now, so the 
it's really interesting to me that here we have something brand new. Like you said, we're probably at 0% of organizations using them at this point in history. But then the White House puts out an executive order. I mean, it kind of blows my mind because oftentimes when I think of directives coming out, regulations coming out from the government, I think about how the need has existed for for a long time and problems have been there for a long time and the technologies have been there for a long time before something is done. But there's they seem to be coming out kind of ahead um, with a, a pretty, uh, you know, impactful change for all organizations here. So, you know, the government is going to ask for these. What kind of organizations then should be thinking about or planning for the creation of their own uh, S-bombs and D-bombs? Uh, should it just be those that are doing work for the government or should it be beyond that? So a couple things, right? You know, you know an interesting aspect of this entire supply chain uh, uh, change, transition, is that if you look at the executive orders over this and the previous administration, couldn't be more different, they actually line up on this issue quite well. You look at, you know, perhaps the motivations are different, but you don't have any uh, presidential administration putting out an executive order that is, that's impossible. You know, that, that's mm-hmm. not how it works. So when this administration put out that order, it's because, you know, they believe that it is possible to do these things. So what, it wasn't possible. No, no administration of any stripe two years ago or four years ago or eight years ago could have put out that EO. And pretty well anyone would have about now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, uh, the, the, so it's, this is one of these things I, I think we're talking about during the break, right? You know, mm-hmm. I believe firmly that, that we, you cannot run infrastructure of any sort in 10 and 20 years without all this information, you know, large scale, scale or small scale. And while I hesitate, you know, to use too many firewall and, you know, everybody get in on the Internet analogies, this is one of them. You know, not having visibility into the software, not having an SBOM for any device and any critical application is not something you're going to be able to buy or sell in not that many years. So since fortunately it'll take a number of years for all this to work through, we have time. Well, right now it is the U.S. federal supply chain uh, that needs to both be requiring and be, will be mandated to require S-bonds. And for the, the public sector, or the private sector partners who like to sell to the government, um, you have to be creating S-bonds. You, know, you have to have a program to create S-bonds now and get that underway. But for all others, um, this is an issue whose time has come. It's not really about security at the end of the day. It's about knowing what you're doing. You know, as you see with uh, Siemens, um, the Department of Energy is doing an S-bomb P- uh, POC right now, and Siemens on that call uh, was explaining that they found huge value in the Software Bill of Materials healthcare POC because it allowed them to see into their own development pipeline better. It allowed them to have better customer relationship and, and resolve issues more quickly. So if you are being forced and mandated because of the U.S. federal regulation space, to do uh, S-bombs, you really just have to. But if you're not, you're going to find out that you're less efficient and less competitive because you have higher costs and it takes longer for you to do things than other people who, who, who have moved on. 
So will you also be less secure? I mean, I think a lot of people listening might think to themselves, well, now we, you've, you've explained it really well, Chris, about what the, the S-bomb and the C-bomb, what they are and what, what type of data they have. But I think some folks listening might still think, well, okay, so you're telling people all of the ingredients of the device or the the system. How does that actually improve security beyond uh, what is being done now since all that data is existing currently anyway? It's just not packaged in the, the same manner. Right. You know, so you can look at some of the big vulnerabilities people hear about, like Ripple 20, you know, fairly recently. And each time this happens, um, the response on the back end is the problem. Because in six weeks or sometimes three months or six months, the, the vendor can come back and say, all right, we found out where that code was. And it's done by literally, you know, having Zoom calls with really expensive employees and having them manually search through a bunch of things and create spreadsheets. So, you know, at the cost, you know, the cost is stunning uh, to do that. Obviously, we, we read about it in the, in the media all the time, every time it happens. And the response is inadequate. You don't have six weeks to find out whether products distributed, you know, in, in every, con, you know, every company on Earth are vulnerable. So, the, the, uh, the two, but there's two sides of that question. There's always that, well, you're going to tell the bad guys what's inside things. You know, not to be glib about it, but they know. Right. Yes. And, they, and it's not that hard for them to figure out. The problem is the good guys don't know what's inside things. And the information all exists, but you can't find it in time and do anything with it. So we, in, in developing Debum, we found we're literally replacing fax machines. Fax machines are still used quite a lot in supply oh, chain. Oh, yeah. But fax machines, emails, spreadsheets, drop boxes, box folders, the, the software bill of materials, uh, proof of concept. Uh, the Department of Commerce ran last year, you know, got S-bombs moving between entities by dropping them in a box folder. So mm-hmm. but by having formalized attestation structures, by, by open sourcing the code so that there can be one standard way to do it, um, we, we create the ability for organizations to take things like S-bombs, put them to repositories where if they should be need, needed, they can be found right away. So I think a lot of people listening might have their hopes up now saying, oh, well, if we use S-bombs and D-bombs, that'll cut down on the number of emails that we have to manage and keep track of. Would that be something that would be a fairly accurate statement to say, depending upon how they currently share that type of information? I will go out on a limb and just say yes. But, you know, to be clear, something else will fill that void. Email is, oh, is a black-sucking maw of, of, but, but yeah, I mean, it, and, I see, you know, we see this all the time. The D-bomb team going through this, you know, we're trying to figure out what people are doing. We get a lot of people banging their heads on desks because mm-hmm. they're, again, literally gathering an international team of the top people inside, you know, large OT manufacturers and coordinating their time zone so they can all get on one Zoom to start the plan to figure out where the hell things are, mm-hmm. followed by weeks and weeks and weeks of emails and spreadsheets and so forth. You know, for information we're already holding, we're just holding it you know, in a million different ways in different places. And we've reached the point where, you know, that that's worked fine to date, but not just because the serious people in black suits are asking us to explain exactly where we put things, but because, 
you know, the, in the software development pipeline, the CI/CD pipeline side of this, you see major, major software houses have been working on uh, on the custody attestations. Uh, another Linux Foundation project in Toto, so that you can tell who's touching the code and where it's been. Taking yeah. all that information and making it into an SBOM that doesn't suck, right? That actually has, you know, relates to the the code as it as it is delivered is is a bit complicated, and that's the the you know, that's why I've joined up with Cybeats because it's an interesting knuckle in the uh, in the in in the uh, um, eddy, where we're taking all this information, this huge, complex, you know, fast-moving, multi-dimensional CI/CD pipelines, trying to enunciate the state of an object of code in a uh, reusable fashion, the SBOM, and transmit it in usable, actionable fashions all down the chain with with attestation uh, ecosystem with DBOM. So it's a, uh, it, it's a, and, and then use that. So as, yeah. as a consumer, I have a software build materials. Great. Now I have this code running, but is it, and I have a vulnerability and I know there's a vulnerability about a piece of code inside that code, but how do I know whether or not it's vulnerable in my context? Yes. Maybe, it, maybe the vulnerability uses port one, two, three, four, but it's running on a server that has one port allowed and, you know, network monitoring and, and, and. Yeah. So how we operationalize the software bill of material, how we get this information in a in a, a tested fashion that is that is usable in the SOC. And you know, so those two ends of the pipeline. How do I how do I make an S bomb that's really effective and useful, it allows me to protect my intellectual property while allowing uh, access to information that my downstream contract relationships dictate? And how do I take that information and use it for actual purpose, you know, to reduce my costs, reduce my operational costs, reduce the cost to respond to an incident, you know, so that my blue team is not chasing every false lead that some real or, 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 or uh, um, exercise red team is throwing at us. So let me give you a scenario. I like to, you know, be stealthy, I guess, and just, uh, watch a lot of conversations on LinkedIn to see what they're talking about. And I saw one that was similar. Well, actually, a, a few of them. And I kind of uh, created a little use case here that was a, a combination of all of them. But let's say Acme Corporation wants to use open source software within their new IoT device system. But they're also concerned about the supply chain involved because they have some of their clients and their target clients that prohibit the use of any form of tech, including data from certain countries like China. Right. So could they use an S-bomb and a D-bomb to help them to alleviate the concerns of their clients or in what ways? I mean, if they came to you or Cybeats, uh, what would you tell them? The short answer is yes, but it is fascinating that, that you bring up that question because either you are right on the cusp of the, the current debate, right? Now, not even debate, the, the leading edge of development. So you look in the definition of country of origin in the pertinent regulations, and it could be enunciated more clearly. To my point about enunciating relationships, the U.S. federal government and the regulators, need, you know, you've, I think, been part of these uh, uh, standards developments as well. They're really conversations among people where you're trying to find the words to phrase something. Mm -hmm. And as we look at smart contracts, 
uh, of regulation should be executable as a smart contract in real time. And they're quite often not. And this, this country of origin terminology in the existing regulations is a perfect example because it's, I think it's probably fortunate for most of the vendors that it's, that it's worded in such a way that it's really has, uh, has almost no value. It's, it's unenforceable because you can't really say what it is. And, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the system to, to really enforce that in, uh, in an effective way aren't quite here yet. We need to get through having SBOMs and having attestations moving at all, which will improve things monstrously over, over the way we're doing now. Again, both in making things more secure, mm -hmm. but mostly in making us more efficient. And then keep drilling down. It'll, it'll be through this decade. We're going to be working through a lot of these details. It can all be done. But we have a lot of individual pieces to fix before we can really deliver that sort of visibility all the time. Right. Well, and what would be a couple of those things we need to fix? Oh, I think if I'm going to answer that one off the, off the top of my head is, is contract language is, is at the end uh -huh, of the day. Yes. Right. <laughs> you know, and it's, it, I love I love the attestation world because I'm a fairly frank person. I just find it's a whole lot easier to say exactly what you think, and if you're wrong, you at least find out sooner, um, and it saves a lot of confusion. And in business relationships, you know that you you both you can't necessarily lawyer yourself into a perfect relationship, but you can enunciate it and be really really clear. You're going to do this. I'm going to do that. And from then on, this, this attestation systems of S-bombs and D-bombs and in-totos and custody and so forth is just validation. And it takes right. a lot of the inefficiencies out of, out of the business relationships. So, the uh, go ahead. Well, I'm, here's something. I've been working with attestations in a variety of ways for many, many years. And right. what I've seen over the years is... What are the consequences for those who, I mean, there's organizations, and you know this, there's organizations who will attest to, like, having uh, implemented uh, an up-to-date security program with all the requirements of, let's say, HIPAA, and having all of the risk assessments done. You know, the CEO is going to say, yes, I attest to this, or their business associate more likely will attest to that to the their clients. But what's the consequences with S-bombs and D-bombs for attestations that are discovered to not be as attested to? Or does is that even possible? Well, I think it's you know, so so we, we look at this, you know, a lot of the D-bomb conversations we talk about security models and how auditors would work and so forth. When in fact, I think when we have automated attestations more in place, those situations just don't arise. Right. So in, that, in the example you give, if I'm a if if I'm consuming, my contract language says you're going to let me know that you're certified and you're going to provide you know the validation. I'm going to see it. And in in my mind, that that uh, certification is an artifact that's attested to on a debomb channel maintained by the certification body. And you know to you know, as an example, it can be done any way you, you'd like, but the, the policies connecting, you know, chaining yourself to that certification bottles, uh, body's debomb channel are such that it can't be read unless you have agreement from the certified person who provides that by signing the agreement with you in the first place. Ah, okay. So, so that 
you would instead of and again this is what i mean you know this information exists you just can't really get it you can't really require it because what are you going to ask the, the person to hunt down the it, it, it takes too much time yes and that's the value in business or protection you know that that we can't overcome so, so you're just com- build it. yeah so you're combining that attestation that a person is choosing to make but you're also saying now prove it by providing um, your digital evidence that supports your attestation. I think that's you know how you're describing it. That's right, and you literally put that that wording in your contract, and you and the contract itself is attested to on a channel between you and this party. And then, as you know, for those who are familiar with oracles, you know, an oracle is a piece of software running around your, your business digital assistant, basically, it sees something, it checks the channel, uh, it finds a smart contract, it finds the clause that says this event did happen, everybody's already agreed to this, therefore provide that. So in, in your example, you know, that, you know, the, the, the proofs and so forth might have been provided, you know, to apply and signing the contract actually engaged in a business arrangement triggers the, the access to other channels. Okay. Yeah. Cause see, that's the big thing I've seen missing over the years for the more uh, manual types of attestations. It's like somebody's telling you, oh yeah, yeah. Don't trust me. It, it, you know, trust me, this is happening, but your uh, D bombs and S bombs uh, in combination is a way to actually then require that proof there. Um, well, let, me, so- let me use it. Well, go ahead. Yeah, I'll use an example that might uh, get through. So a friend uh, works in a small metal manufacturing company in Canada called Turies, Turies Welding and, Manu- and Fabrication. And they make uh, brackets for a large uh, global integrator that installs them on highways with cameras. Mm-hmm. And they're required to attest to the quality of these brackets. So that means they stop production and their office manager comes out with their phone and takes pictures and emails them somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. What we're talking about is replacing that so that the smart plasma table they use attests to a D-bomb channel for every single weld to the bit, to the large uh, 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 integrator that that is through contract chained to the, the government co- uh, um, client so that, for example, three years later, a bracket breaks, a camera falls, an uh, employee shows up, scans the mark on the, on the, uh, on the broken bracket, and while they're standing there, sees the data from the plasma table for that one individual bracket. As opposed to, as you said, the way we do it now is we begin the investigation. Mm-hmm. And three years later, as we all follow along on national television, you know, it resolves itself. So this is you know, both from a security perspective, but mostly from an efficiency perspective, not yes. having to vaguely trust things that can be automated and tested automatically or produce piles and piles of records so we can find that one attestation about that one weld or the software running on the, the S-bomb for the software running on the plasma table that made that bracket. Yeah, timely, timeliness. So we're almost at the end of our hour already. But, you know, we've been talking about the, the D-bombs, S-bombs. In about one minute or so, what would be the key point or lesson that you want our listeners to take away from our discussion today? Pay attention, right? There's always value in paying attention uh, to all, all the things around us. And in business, we do this all the time. 
And as you just said, it, it, this is about the, the main change right now is timeliness. And we'll find that it wasn't really possible to pay that level of attention in business before. But if we follow this wave, pay attention to the changes in our individual markets the rest of this year and next year particularly, we'll find the efficiencies involved. And if we don't, our competitors will. So, you know, the software bill of materials, again, if you're involved in the federal space or regulated space at all and, and you don't know about SBOMs, know about SBOMs because they're coming your way. But for everybody, you know, this, this is just a leading indicator that we're going to have visibility into, you know, what's inside the infrastructure we have based on the critica uh, criticality in ways that are appropriate. That is an excellent way to summarize it. Thank you again so much for being on the show today. Uh, you are the bomb, Chris, <laughs> figuratively and literally as the D-bomb inventor. Thanks. Thank you, Rebecca, so very much. Today I've been speaking with Chris Blatt. I'm sorry, Chris Blast, cybersecurity expert and inventor, including inventor of the digital bill of materials, D-bomb structure. Please send feedback about this show. Would you like to hear more about this topic? Just let me know. And do you have a topic that you suggest that I cover? Let me know that too. Uh, you can contact me using Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. And if you want to see more about Chris, Chris, again, is the VP of Strategy for Cybeats. And go out to Cybeats, com, I believe. And you can find out more about Chris and also about his business there. So until our next show, ask those you do business with and who you work, who you work for. What are they doing with your personal data and other data? that you've entrusted to them? Do they know who through the supply chain might be getting access to your data or how those different parts of the supply chain uh, are involved with uh, getting access to the data? The SBOM and the, the DBOM, that might be something that will help give them those types of insights. So go ahead, be privacy aware in the month ahead. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data security and privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live the first Saturday of each month at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next time, stay safe. <laughs>